This is Tim Bryan, pastor of Lifeway Apostolic Church, and this is our podcast. Thank you for joining us today. My prayer is that this message will inspire, build your faith, and draw you closer to Jesus Christ. Enjoy this message. We're going to start a series called The Bait of Satan. Um, I handed you out my notes last week uh, from, from this study. And, um, but we're going to go through it together tonight because that was not everything that I wanted to say uh, through that. So we want to set the uh, groundwork for this lesson here tonight and um, talk about the bait of Satan. Everybody say the bait of Satan. Amen. He has many things that he would like to desire to, desire to do in your life. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy you. Let me just say it again. The devil is out to steal, kill, and destroy you. To steal everything you got. Take everything you got. And if you're still breathing, he wants you to have no hope that there would be ever any chance of restoration. Um, so we're going to look at this study here tonight. If you have a pen or if you need a pen tonight, once you raise your hand, I'm sure one of these ushers will be happy to grab you a pen. And uh, you can fill in the blanks as we go along here tonight. All right. Everybody say the bait of Satan. Um, this is um, something we're going to talk about in the next four weeks. I want to uh, make mention tonight. This Saturday is our men's encounter. All the men say amen. Nine o'clock here at the church. And I'm excited about uh, men coming together for a time of prayer and study of the Word of God and discussion um, this, this Saturday. Brother Robert Hively is going to be speaking to the men this week. And uh, so come, and um, it's going to be a great time. And uh, I didn't want to embarrass him, but <laughs> now, now, he can't, now he can't call last minute and tell me he can't do it. Now he's got he's to show up. He'll be speaking to us and, uh, from the Word of the Lord. And also, uh, Sunday, everybody say Sunday. Sunday is going to be a great day in the Lord. We will be dedicating uh, baby Ella Garber. And it's going to be a great service. They're going to have many family members who are going to come. And um, this is a great opportunity to let the church show who we really are. Amen. And uh, so please uh, come this Sunday. Bring somebody. We're going to be talking about um, some meaningful things this Sunday that goes along with dedicating a child to the Lord. And after service this Sunday is our continue our ministry training. Uh, directly after service, lunch will be provided uh, for those that can make it. And uh, so if you plan on attending this ministry training after service on Sunday, please let me know so we can prepare for food. Send me a text this week and let me know if you're going to be able to be here. Also, March the 1st, everybody say March 1st. March 1st is going to be an all-kids service. Brother Wagner will be with us. Our kids will be singing, and we're going to have a great time. The Lord, I believe in God, is going to fill many kids with the Holy Ghost that day. Amen. And, and several adults. You need it too. So, amen. We're going to have a great time in the Lord. And then March the 15th, um, uh, this is a very important service. If you can invite your guests. I'm going to ask you to invite someone that you know is hurting, that you know battles forgiveness, that are carrying burdens, they just can't seem to let go of. Um, and maybe somebody in your family that's carrying a heavy load, 
um, something that uh, this service is going to be for you and for them. You will not want to miss this service. We have a guest that is coming, and I'm excited about this service. Um, it's going to be something like you've never probably been a part of, um, but we're going to ask the Lord to move in a great way in, on, on that Sunday. But tonight we're going to talk about the bait of Satan. This is a series that we have taught before here. Um, it's been probably three years ago, and um, I felt the Lord lead me to this study once again. And um, uh, this topic tonight, we're going to talk about offense. It can destroy a church, it can destroy a family, it can destroy a soul. The spirit of offense. Everybody say amen. Turn your Bibles with me to Luke chapter number 17. Luke chapter number 17. I'm just going to read one verse. Um, in fact, if I can have some helpers that will read some of the scriptures tonight, that would be awesome. Uh, somebody, if you have Luke 17 and 1, would somebody like to read that for me tonight? You have to read it real loud and clear. Amen. Offenses will come. Look at your neighbor and say, they will come. Now, how many has been offended today? They may get offended today. I got an amen. Thank you for being honest over here, right? I, I think we've all, did anybody get cut off today in the driveway to, on the work? Or, did somebody say something or look at you wrong today? Did you wake up on the wrong side of bed today? Or did your spouse wake up on the wrong side of bed today? Or somebody look at you wrong? Offenses will come. Uh, somebody will say some things that perhaps you don't like. It can be an offense. Offenses come in many different ways, but let me tell you, it is a very deadly trap that uh, you can fall into. It is one of the enemy's most deadly and deceptive traps. It imprisons countless Christians. And I speak this tonight and over the next few weeks because I can sense it and I can see it within this body of believers. There are people that are imprisoned by the spirit of offense. Um, because it does imprison people. It severs relationships and widens the existing breaches between us. It's a trap. I said it's a trap. And we're going to talk about this a little bit tonight. If you look at David, what did David say? For it is not an enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it. Nor is it the one who hates me who, was, who has exalted himself against me. Then I could hide from it. But it was you, a man my equal, my companion, my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked to the house of God in the throng. These are those who we sit with and sing alongside. Look your neighbor and poke him in the shoulder. Not too hard. Maybe hard enough to make sure they stay awake. I know how it is on a long day on a Wednesday. Nice and warm in here. Going to fall asleep on me. I authorize the person next to you to poke you if you start to fall asleep tonight. I got enough water. We can splash it around up here tonight. Now, it's the people that we are closest to that it seems is that's who we get offended most by. Um people that we sit close to, 
these are the people that we sit alongside, perhaps the people that we, uh, perhaps it's even me who's delivering the sermon that can offend you. The word of God offends. Hear me right now, the word of God offends. I know it offends because I can feel it in the presence of God. The word of God comes forth and white knuckles show up and it's offending your fleshly spirit. And then everybody, whether you like it or not, you make a decision when the time of prayer comes or time of worship or the word of God comes forth. It's easy to say amen when it doesn't offend you. But when the word of God offends us, the amen is like stuck in our gut. and It's hard to get it out of there. You can sense that when you minister in the word. You can sense that when you show love to somebody and they don't want to love you in return. You sense these things in the presence of God. But the word of God is, is offensive. It offends the flesh. And that flesh and what we do in those moments. Um, it will dictate our future, which we'll get to here in just a little bit. You know, the people that are close to us is, is the people that sometimes we get most offended by. We spend holidays and special functions and share offices with people, or perhaps it's even closer. We grew up with them, confined in and sleep next to them. The closer the relationship, the more severe the offense. Ain't that the truth? Um, it's sad to me to hear siblings that will not talk for years because somebody got offended. Um, I confronted, my brother and sister is not here tonight, I confronted them both one time. I don't know if dad knows this, but I confronted them both. I said, you need to call your brother. I don't want to. I said, you need to call your brother. And I called my brother the same day. I said, you need to call your sister. And I told my brother, I said, you want to go to heaven? I do. I said, then you need to call your sister. And, and I said, I, I, I had been praying about it, and I was heavy in my spirit, and I had to get that off my chest. I said, you need to call each other. Write them a card. Write them a letter. I don't care what you got to do. Just we need to, we need to get past this and move, move on. Now, that's up to them. I did what God told me to do, and uh, I believe God is, is taking care of those things. You, but we find the greatest hatred among people who once really cared about each other. Um. Next paragraph there, if you're following along, selfishness, it does reign in our society. And men and women today look out for themselves to the neglect and the hurt of those around them. This shouldn't surprise us, right? It really shouldn't surprise us because what does it say in 2 Timothy uh, 3 and 2? The Bible is very clear when it states, people will be lovers of themselves we love ourselves you know it's, it's like one of the worst things but sometimes can be I don't know if it's the best thing but social media is one of the worst things about selfish shows selfishness so profoundly um, you know that Paul was talking about we expect this we expect selfishness and unbelievers right but the Bible teaches us that Timothy wasn't or uh, they weren't talking about the believers or the unbelievers they're talking about to the believers they were talking to the church and guess what church we need to get rid of selfishness 
Selfishness has no place in the presence of the Lord. Uh, because when we pray, look at the Lord's prayer that he told us to pray. Not my will and thy will be done. That is saying no to flesh and yes to the presence of the Lord. I was talking to my wife on the phone tonight, and I said, I said I, it's hard sometimes to witness to somebody when there's so much pride, so much selfishness. It's because when somebody thinks they have all the answers and they have all the, 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 the equations on how to get to their proper place, you have lived in a life that is not a submitted life. You want everybody else to submit to your thoughts. So when it comes to the Lord, you want to dictate, tell the Lord what he, you expect out of him. But it doesn't work that way. When you come to the Lord, you have to submit to him. That's why I feel uh, one of the things is we got to talk about this tonight is because we got to get past of loving ourselves more than, more than loving God. We have to love God with all, in spite of ourselves sometimes. So we, we expect this in unbelievers of selfishness. In fact, I've had, I've counseled with people and, and they said, I don't understand why they're this way. I said, well, they don't have Jesus. That's why they're that way. And that shouldn't surprise you. Don't get angry at people who are falling into the deceptive trap of, of offense or sin because that's what sin does. I'm not surprised anymore of what, what, what sin will do in people's life because that's what sin does. It's out to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what it does, and that's what it ends up. People's life, they'll go down a road they never thought they would go down, nor did you ever see them going down the road. But that's what sin does. It would take you down that road of, of heartache. So Paul was not referring to those outside of the church. He was referring to people inside the church. Many in this room here tonight are wounded, were hurt. Some are even bitter. You're offended. You've been offended. But they, and you may not realize that you've fallen into a very delicate trap tonight. It's a place of offense. So, look on here a little bit. Is it our fault? Jesus made it very clear that it is impossible to live in this world and not have the opportunity to become offended. If you go throughout your day and if you actually think about the opportunities of you getting offended, maybe because your wife didn't kiss you this morning or, or you didn't get that, 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 that paycheck that you expected or you didn't get that bonus that you expected. It can leave a wound. It can leave a hurt. It can leave something that will change your life. And I've seen many people come into work and because they didn't, they felt like they were wronged and all of a sudden, they will blast the whole company on social media. That's, a, that's this, what this world does. I had a guy I worked with. He was not happy with the boss's decision, and he blasted the whole company on social media. Guess what he got the next day? He got fired. Oh, he got something, all right. But he didn't understand that he was offended, and he didn't want to understand the reasoning of the decision. If he would have taken a moment to understand and try to reason just a little bit, he would have not allowed that, that, that uh, bitterness or that root of bitterness to fall into his mind and his heart. Um, so many Christians are shocked or bewildered and amazed when we're, we get offended or an offense comes. 
We believe we're the only ones who have been wronged. How many know somebody that they're the only ones that's ever been wronged? This response leaves us vulnerable to a root of bitterness. Therefore, we must be prepared and armed for offenses because our response determines our future. Hear me right now. Your response to the spirit of offense determines the rest of your day and the rest of your actions and how you treat everything else. When you get offended, it changes your emotions. You start loving like you ought to love. You stop, uh, uh, you, you, you stop, you start being kind, you stop being kind. You find yourself isolated. You find yourself in a place, you find yourself in a trap. You're in a ditch and nothing will change. But our response to an offense, the Bible says offenses will come, but our response to that offense will determine our future. So we want to, to deal with that moment is when an offense comes, how to handle that moment. I really believe living for God happens in small moments decision-making. It's these small moments. It's never really uh, a, a long-term kind of a thing, and it just grew. I believe there's a decision that was made in a moment, moment, moment of time that decided what our future was going to be. So uh, let's look at the Greek word for offend. Luke 17 and 1, which Naomi read, um, the word offend, it comes from the word scatalon. Now, what is your first uh, uh, thought when that Greek word scatalon, what does that, that sound like? Scandal? <laughs> well, if you, if you have your notes there, you'll find this word originally referred to the part of the trap to which the bait was attached. Hence the word signifies laying a trap in someone's way. What do you think the devil's doing when offenses come? He's putting a trap. He's putting a trap. He does that to get your mind off of things you should be thinking about. In the New Testament, it often describes an entrapment used by the enemy. Offense is a tool of the devil to bring people into captivity. 2 Timothy chapter number 2. Somebody want to read this for me. 2 Timothy chapter number 2, verses 24 through 26. A servant and, of a, and a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all. Oh, that's a whole message right there. Timothy, or Paul, Paul was instructing Timothy here to... Um, He's talking to the church, okay, and he's telling the church that you don't need to be quarreling with yourself, quarreling with one another, but be gentle in all. You know what happens? When you quarrel, you take sides, but when you're gentle, you're bringing things together. Hear me now. When you're quarreling, you're taking sides, but when you're gentle, you bring things in agreement. You're able to teach. When both people, or if, you have, if there is a quarrel, you're able to teach one another and able to be gentle and be patient and have humility, it's amazing how what unity can happen through that. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Here's what it is. When you are caught in a place of offense, you are actually doing the will of the devil. 
Oh, snap. Just got real. When you are offended and you walk around with a bad attitude and you walk around and everybody, everybody's got to walk on eggshells, you are the, doing the work of the devil. In the Bible, I believe that's called witchcraft. You're rebelling against God. I said you're rebelling against God because you're not loving and being gentle and being patient and being kind. So you're actually doing the bidding of the devil. The devil's like, I got them now. I just hope they don't repent of their actions. He wants you there. The devil wants you to stay there. Because he likes, he especially likes people in the church doing his bidding. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't want people leaving the church if they're causing trouble. He wants them to be in the church to stir up the unity of the church. Stir up, take away the unity of the church. So those who are in quarrels or opposition fall into a trap and are held prisoner to the devil's will. Huh. Maybe we should stay in that sentence for a while. So, underlying perhaps in your, 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 your handout there, even more alarming, they're unaware of their captivity. Because what the devil wants to do is to blind you of your actions. That's part of it. Isn't that true? I've seen people repent and come out of that, and then all of a sudden there's this, these, 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 this revelation hit them that all the people they have offended. They're like, I, I, am, I am so sorry. Please forgive me. I, I, I didn't know what I was thinking. Well, you knew what you were doing, but you were under the spirit of offense, and the devil was happily watching you do his bidding. So, Let's look at the prodigal. If somebody wants to get James 3 and 1 for me and have that ready. Um, Brittany, Jimenez, why don't you get that for me? James 3 and 11. So the prodigal, however, the Bible said, what did the Bible say? When he was, when he was in, that, in that place of the, of the hog pen, what did he, he kind of say to himself? He did what? He came to himself. He says, what am I doing here? There was a revelation that hit him. I, why am I in this pig pen when I can go home to a father that had everything? Sometimes we got to come to ourselves. You know, a lot of times it, it, when, when you're trying to help somebody and they don't understand, they can't see it at all. And they can't, they, 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 it's almost like you got to put the brakes on for a moment until they come to themselves. They have to seek God for themselves. They don't realize that they are spewing out bitter, bitter waters rather than pure. James 3 and 11. Brittany, why don't you read that? Does a spring bring forth bitter and fresh water from the same fountain? It doesn't. It can't. We talked about that on Sunday. It can't bring forth one and the other at the same time. So when a person is deceived, he believes or she believes they are right even though they are not, which is a very dangerous place to be in. And I, there is, and I, I, I've been praying 
and I talked to some folks, and we, we, when we pray, we don't pray against that person because it's a spirit that's got a hold of the person. And when we pray against the spirit of the person, so when we pray for somebody in the altar, don't look down upon that person. They've just been deceived by the spirit, and they got blinders on. We need to pray those blinders off of their eyes so they may have that revelation and, and have a time of repentance, and we need to celebrate when they come out of that place of deception. Amen. So no matter what the scenario is, we can divide all offended people into two major categories. Isn't it nice to just have two categories? This is not a five-point message tonight. It's a two-category message. How about that? Those who have been treated unjustly, and there I'm telling you everybody in this room has been treated unjustly one time or another, or those who believe they have been treated unjustly. The people in the second category believe with all the hearts that they have been wronged. Often their conclusions are drawn from inaccurate information. Or their information is accurate, but their conclusion is distorted. So, either way, they're hurt and, they're, and their understanding is darkened. But this next statement here, hopefully it's on your page there. They judge by three things. One of three things. Assumption, appearance, and hearsay. That's very dangerous when you assume something. Hear me now. It's very dangerous when you assume something. That's a trick of the devil. I get it. That's right. And a couple. Mm-hmm. You be careful what you assume, because more often than not, ninety-nine percent of the time, you're going to be you're going to be wrong, or you don't have the whole picture. So what happens when we assume? Holler it out. What happens when we assume? Huh? What happens when we assume about somebody? We draw conclusions that aren't factual. When you assume, you draw conclusions. Um, we go down and we start embrace, embracing emotions that we should not even be having. When, we, uh, when, when something of the appearance is wrong, and, and maybe there's, there's some things that may not be right, but, but we got to be careful about how we judge or, or judge an appearance or judge uh, uh, what people are saying. Hear me just say this. Hearsay, don't give way to hearsay. If, if somebody's telling you something and, they're, and, they're, and they're, it's gossip, let's just call it for what it is, gossip, you need to stop that stuff. Just say, you know what, I'm good. Yeah, I don't need to hear that. And, you know, you need to check your spirit. They won't come to you again, I'll tell you that. <laughs> you tell somebody you're going to pray for them when they come with you gossip, I guarantee you they won't gossip to you again. Unless they really want prayer. <laughs> um, it's a dangerous place to to embrace an emotion with false information. Hear me now. It's very dangerous, and I see it all the time, that we fall into a trap of embracing an emotion based on false information. That's why I don't get emotionally involved in social media. Everything's got its own thing. 
you know, there's always a skew. There's always another side to the story. There's always, there's two sides of the story. Actually, there's three sides. One person, another person, then the truth. It's usually, it's usually the way it is. Um, but we've got to be careful to embrace. People get so emotional and so caught up, and their, their whole day is, is ruined because they've allowed their emotions to become attached to something that was not true. I, I don't mean to harp on social media, but there was somebody that posted something on social media about something, and I'm not going to say what it was. And they, and they put this thing in, and they, they told, and because they shared it from somebody else, and they said, look at this, and all of this, and I can't believe this. And I, I typed up stuff, and I had to delete it. I typed it up again. I deleted it again. And I was like, God, help this person from not being deceived by the garbage that's out there. It wasn't an attack on a church. It was just a social kind of thing. And a, it was a, a, I was like, does this person really believe anything? Be careful what you believe. Be careful where you allow your emotions to go and where your emotions to embrace. So we got to examine a heart's true condition because this is a heart problem. This is a heart problem. One way the enemy keeps a person in an offended state is to keep the offense hidden. Because somebody that really wants to be offended, they'll hide it and they'll hold a grudge. And they'll go behind Letitia's back talk about it we'll hold on to grudges and and we'll pick sides and and we want to keep it hidden now don't tell anybody i told you this that's that's a, that's a sign of you need to get out of that conversation one of the enemies so it, what it does is it keeps you in that offended state pride will keep you from admitting your true condition and this is why an altar is so important because you can't come to the lord with pride and if you come to the Lord, the Lord will show you your true condition, and you'll see a God in his infinite wisdom, and it will crush your pride. You come to a place of repentance. And it's got to, it will, I've said this many times, but there's two ways that you're going to come to the Lord. Number one, he will crush you, or you will crush yourself. I would rather crush my own pride than have the Lord step on my pride and crush it for me. Because there will come a day where every tongue will confess, or every knee will bow, and tongue will confess that he's Lord. And you talk about a bunch of pride being crushed in that moment. If I only would have prayed not my will then, I do not want to be in hell looking at people in heaven wishing I would have submitted my pride at an altar. And allow the Lord to show my true condition. Pride keeps you from dealing with truth. It distorts your vision. You never change when you're thinking everything is fine. Hear me right now. That's powerful. When you think everything is fine, it's distorting the true condition. You know what? why Paul said, I died daily? Because he knew his condition wasn't right all the time. I'm the pastor, and I don't get it right all the time. I need to pray every day. Hear me today. We need to pray every day saying, God, not my will, God. Forgive me of my, my thoughts. Forgive me, God, of how I view things. Help me to see what you see, not my agenda. Mm -hmm. Pride keeps you from dealing with truth. 
Pride hardens your heart and dims the eyes of the understanding. It dims the eyes of the understanding. It keeps you from the change of heart, the repentance, which will set you free. This is so many times when people come to an altar and they come to a time of prayer. It's pride that keeps you from breaking down to a place that says, God, please forgive me. Nobody likes to admit when they're wrong. Maybe you need to come more, get more comfortable with that. Maybe we need to get more comfortable saying, I got that wrong. I should have done that differently. I've learned one thing in 20, almost 25 years of marriage. The quicker that I say I got that wrong, the better off I am. You know what, honey, I got that wrong. Sure did. Oh, hold on a second. I'm coming to you with a humble heart. No, she doesn't do that. So, pride causes you to view yourself as the victim. Okay? Uh, your attitude becomes, I was mistreated and misjudged, therefore I am justified in my behavior. This world is full of self-righteousness, but self-justification. It, it, it is. It's that behavior of I, I'm, I'm justified for my actions. I'm justified for holding on to these grudges. I'm justified because you don't know what they did to me. Okay, I don't. But the Lord wants to heal you. The Lord wants to bring you back unto him. I have come to realize that I had to forgive in order for God to forgive me. I had to learn to say, God, I don't know how to forgive. Would you show me how to forgive? I don't want to carry this anymore. Help me, God, to let this go. And let me tell you, if you open up your mouth, everybody point at your mouth, and if you say something out loud, normally that you would think in your heart, it changes things. When you speak things out loud, there's something that happens in the heart. Because I do know that when you hold a grudge and you say something to somebody out of, out of, out of anger or out of fear or out of, out of holding a grudge, it changes things then. It hardens your heart even more. It brings justification. It brings, it puts you on one side and that person on the other. But the same thing happens when I say this, the exact opposite out loud and say, please forgive me. And you're gentle with your words, and, 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 and it brings things together. When you say things that are, that are, uh, that, that are uh, full of pride and, and, and it says, I've been mistreated, I'm justified, my, it brings, it doesn't bring things together. It separates things even further apart. Because you believe you're innocent and falsely accused, you hold back forgiveness. Nope, I can't forgive. Nope. I ain't going to do it. I've been wronged. Not going down that road again. I'm glad Jesus doesn't have that attitude. My Lord. I'm so glad the Lord looks at me and says, I forgive you. And guess what? He forgets about it, Sister Bonnie. So then he, when I, when I mess up the next day, he said, wow, that's the first time you've done that. I forgive you. The Bible says he throws the sins as far as. He forgets. He's, he's, I'm so thankful the Lord doesn't hold a grudge. We do. We're, we're professionals. We'd all be rich if we, would, uh, we got paid by the hourly wage of holding a grudge. 
we wouldn't have to work around here, would we? Through all of our lives. So let's, let's get on to the cure because I think that's important. There is a cure for this. In the book of Revelation, Jesus addressed the church of Laodicea by first telling them how they saw themselves. You talk about offense. I'm going to tell you how you see yourself. That's what we need. That's why we come to the house of the Lord, because I need to see who I am. I, I'm thankful for men of God and say, hey, hey, bucko, you need, to, you need to cool your jets. I don't want to cool my jets. You need to cool your jets. I remember uh, uh, as, as a child, just I, I get upset, and, I, and, and they'd have to separate me. You need to go just burn off some steam. You just go in the other room, just cool off. And I'm thankful there are people that just told me to cool it. Because we have to see ourselves sometimes. Amen. So the book of Revelation, Jesus addressed this church by telling them how they saw themselves wealthy and having need of nothing. Then by exposing their true condition. Wretched, miserable, poor, blind, naked. They had mistaken their financial strength for spiritual strength. You better be careful how you view yourself. Pride, there it is again, pride hid their true condition. I'll say that again. Pride hid their true condition. You know what? It, we know what brings the church together is the people that say, Pastor, brothers and sisters, I'll do whatever it is for the kingdom of God. Whatever you need me to do. But it's the people that come to me and say, Well, look what I can do. Those are the people I'm worried about. I'm worried about, well, this is what I've done. I've done this. I've done that. You should see what I've done here. I'm like, okay, well, have a seat on the pew for six months and we'll, re we'll reevaluate. They had mistaken their financial strength for spiritual strength. Um, I'll move on. Jesus told the Laodiceans that how to get out of their deception, to buy God's gold and to see their true condition. Somebody say amen. Jesus' first instruction for breaking free from deception was to buy from me gold refined in the fire. Woo. What is refined gold? It's pliable. It's refined. It's pure. Mmm. Refined. You know, how many of you took shop class in school? You took shop class? And how many, uh, you took lead and you melted lead? You may do that in shop class or maybe you, you, you remember doing We took, um, they asked us to go to the junkyard and buy, get those weights that are on tires and rims, all that lead. So we went to a junkyard and got, got, some, got some of that lead. And, and uh, my dad and mom's car may have been missing one, I don't know. But... <clears throat> grab one off of there and uh, we take it to shop class and we put it under the heat and we put this in a little bowl and what would happen to that lead after it got a certain temperature it, get, it just turned into just liquid right but they taught us something they said now all lead has impurities so if you want your project to come out looking good you need to take that little this, this little mesh spoon thing and just pull all the impurities out of that lead and you may have to do it a few times, 
And you're going to have to, you have to purify that. He said, because your project is going to look nice, but you've got to get all the impurities out of it. He said, you don't want any pockets in that. You don't want any pits in your, in your project. No, I don't want any of that. So you've got to get all the impurities out. What the Lord says, you're going to get gold that is refined, that is pliable, that is beautiful, that has been refined in the fire. The refined gold is that, paw, is that, that soft, pliable, free from corrosion and any foreign substances. It is when gold is mixed with other metals, hear me, copper, iron, nickel, and so on, that it becomes hard and less pliable and more corrosive. This mixture is called what? An alloy. The higher the percentage of foreign metals, the harder the gold becomes. Hmm. Oh, that could go a lot of different ways tonight. You fill your life with all kinds of offense and, and carry burdens and baggages, you're going to become more corrosive, less pliable, and become hard in your spirit. So Hebrews thir- uh, 3 and 13, somebody get that for me. You know what hardens your heart? There it is. What's the alloy of the gold? Or what's the, in the corrosiveness of, of pure gold? What is, the, what is the thing that causes that sweet spirit of God that's inside of you to become hard? It's sin. It's flesh. It's, it's the spirit of sin that will, and in this instance, in this study, it's the spirit of offense. The, the grudge or the, the holding on to something. Um, there's something beautiful, but when you ask somebody to forgive you, there's like a weight that's lifted off of you. It's because that thing that has become hard and corrosive, and it has now become free again. And it becomes pure. Um, if we do not deal with an offense, it will produce more fruit of sin, which is bitterness and anger and resentment, and it affects everything in our life. It affects our marriage, our friends, our job, everything. It affects everything. So this added substance hardens our hearts just as alloys harden gold. This reduces our, our and reduces our, and removes tenderness, created, uh, creating a loss of sensitivity. Um, we are hindered in every, every uh, we are hindered in our ability to hear God's voice. Um, let me stop there because it's very important to me that when I come into the house of God and before I get to the platform, a lot of times you'll see me make my head down praying, is because I want to make sure my heart is pliable. Now, I may have repented right before service, before the worship, but especially before I deliver the word of God, I say, God, make sure I don't have, I, show me if I have some impurities in me. Let me love the people like you love, you love them. Wash me, cleanse me, create in me a clean heart. And renew or refine me with the gold from your treasure chest. Hmm. So the first step in refining gold is to grind it in the powder and mix it with a substance called flux. Then the mixture is placed into a furnace and melted by intense heat. The alloys and the impurities are drawn to the flux and rise to the surface. The gold, which is the heavier, remains at the bottom. The impurities or dross uh, uh, such as copper, iron, zinc, and combined with flux, it is then removed and yielded, and yielding a pure metal. How many want to be pure? Come on, do I have anybody else that want to be pure in here? 
I want to be pure in heart, pure in my attitudes, pure in my motives. I want to be pure in my motives. When we preach the word of God, we need to be pure in our motives. When we witness to somebody, we need to be pure in our motives. You see, you're witnessing somebody and you're, you're doing it, you're witnessing with the wrong motives? Oh, yes, you can. I had one guy say, flirt to convert. You better be careful what you, what you say when you say flirt to convert. You got to be pure in your motives. I don't witness to somebody because they'd be a good tithe payer. I witness to them because they need God. I got to keep my motives pure when we talk about the things of God. It doesn't matter what their bank account says. We witness to everybody because they need a Savior. They need a Savior. God refined, ref, uh, let's go to 1 Peter. I don't want to skip this scripture. And then Isaiah uh, 48 as well. Um, Isaiah 48 and 10, it says, Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver, for I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. And again, in this you greatly rejoice, uh, 1 Peter, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold, than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God refines with afflictions and with trials and tribulations. The heat of which separates impurities such as unforgiveness, strife and bitterness and anger and envy and so forth come from the nature of God in our lives. Now, God doesn't tempt you. The Bible says he doesn't tempt us. But there are things and trials of life that creates an opportunity for impurities to be plucked out of our spirit. God wants to extend grace to us and forgiveness to us and mercy to us so that we can also extend those same things to someone else. Sin easily hides where there is no heat of trials and afflictions. Mm-hmm. In times of prosperity and success, even a wicked man will seem kind and generous. Under the heat of trials, however, the impurities begin to surface. You put some heat to somebody's life, you'll see the real character of that person come out. I was talking to somebody not too long ago, and they had a loss in their family. And he said, Pastor, he said, I thought everybody loved each other. But all of a sudden, a thing called inheritance came up. And all of a sudden, nobody was saying the right thing. Oh, there were, nobody was loving it. Everybody was jockeying for position. <laughs> when you put heat in your life, the real character of a person comes out. Impurities begin to surface. Things begin to show up, the true condition. So I'm going to say today, you need to see your true condition. Jesus said, our ability to see correctly is another key to being freed from deception. I want to see my true condition. And when I pray, I say, God, forgive me. If there's anything wrong in me, you better be ready for that prayer because he will show you. It's in that moment when you say, God, show me where I'm slacking. Show me where I'm, where I'm, what, I, what I'm doing wrong. Show me my attitudes when I'm not right. In that moment, when God shows you, you need to be ready to put yourself back on that altar and say, God, forgive me. Cleanse me cleanse me and God give me the grace to do it make it right the next time 
Because too many people come to an altar and they ask God to cleanse them, but they forget how to act when they walk out that door. They pick that same mess right back up again without the disciplined actions of Almighty God helping us along the way. Because sometimes we really don't want to see ourselves. We feel, here's the, I come so many times and I prayed with people on the altar, don't come to the altar just to feel good. I don't come to an altar just to, so I can, oh, thank you, Jesus. You know, I, I, I don't, let me just say this, I don't like it when I pray with somebody, they say, oh, thank you, I feel so much better. I'm not here to pray for your feelings. I'm not here for your feelings. I'm here to make sure your soul is saved and purified and on its way to heaven. There's got to be something within us that, that yeah, we, we can feel good in the presence of the Lord, but I'm going to put that to action. Put some discipline in my life. And to that moment to fall prey, to fall back into that same thing, that moment of decision. I'm not going to go back there again. Knowing the trap, seeing the trap before it even happens. I pray a lot. Say, God, show me the moment that temptation comes and help me to be disciplined in that moment to say no to that temptation. Um, almost done here. Sometimes we even uh, resent those who remind us of others who have hurt us. For this reason, Jesus said this in Revelation 3.18, anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. See what? Our true condition. That's the only way we can be zealous and repent as Jesus commanded next. you got to be I don't want to be this way. Help me, God, to see my condition so I may not return unto the same place I was in. We see a lot of people come to church, fall out of church. Come to church, fall out of church. Back and forth, back and forth. Help us, God, to see our true condition. And help me, Lord, to make the right decision. Repentance. You'll only repent when you stop blaming other people. I think that one of the biggest things I've learned in leadership is take ownership for your own actions. If I've done something wrong, if I've messed up the church calendar, I forget stuff all the time for Nicole, I usually say, I'm sorry. I, I think I say that all the time. I'm sorry, that's my bad. I need to, I need to do better. And I always say that at the end when I, somebody comes to me and reminds me of something, I say, you know what, I need to do better at that. You know what that does? It brings self-accountability. It says, I... Tim Bryan need to do better at that action. So I'm purposing in myself to be better. What we got to do is take responsibility for our own actions. My wife had her yearly review this last week, and her boss told her, she says, I don't know anybody else that takes accountability for herself more than, than you. And I, I was proud of my wife for the boss saying that to her, because why? Because this world is full of people that don't want to take accountability for nothing. They don't want to take accountability. I didn't do that. I didn't say that. That was so-and-so. Oh, for Pete's sake. Just take control in your own. What you've done wrong, just own it up. Own it and then move on. See, when we blame others and defend our own position, we're blind. Everybody else sees it, but we're blind. Hear me now. We're blind. 
Uh, we struggle to remove the speck out of our brother's eye. Hear me now. We struggle to remove that speck out of our brother's eye while there is a big old log in ours. It's, it's amazing how we can see specks in other people's eyes, but we can't see this big old albatross of a log in our eye. It is the revelation of truth that brings freedom. When the Spirit of God shows us our sin, he always does it in a, such a way that it means that it seems separate, uh, it seems separate from us. This brings conviction, not condemnation. Hear me now, it brings conviction, not condemnation. I thank God for conviction. If, I, if there was no conviction, oh my Lord, I thank God for conviction. I thank God that I have a wife that calls me out on my junk. Tells me, Tim, you need to get your attitude right. What'd you do, wake up on the wrong side of the bed? Maybe I did. And I'm going to stay here for a moment. But then I'm going to shake myself. And I'm going to say, I'm not going to be this way today. I'm going to have a good attitude today. She always knows when I get less than five hours of sleep because I'm grumpy the next day. Then she calls me out and she says, you didn't get much sleep last night. I said, no, she said, you're grumpy. And that's a reminder of me to tell me to get out of my grumpiness. So I have to choose to get out of grumpiness or go back to bed. So I choose to just be not grumpy. When it comes to the Word of God, the Word of God calls us out on the things. A spiritual man that says, Father, forgive me. But a man full of the flesh says, I don't believe none of that word. I ain't going to help nobody. It's what we do in the moment that will define our future. It's how we come to no offense and to allow it to work in our life or allow the healing balm of Jesus Christ to work in our spirit. Let's stand together. Amen. You know what would destroy a family more than anything? And your brothers and sisters, your husband or wife, you get offended and then you walk down the hall hugging, each, hugging the walls so you don't even come close to them. You get so upset at somebody, you know they're going to come upstairs, so you stay in the room, so they come upstairs, so you can go down the stairs, so you don't have to look at them. You know what I'm talking about. Somebody offends you at work, you know what time they're going to walk out, so you're going to walk out five minutes before them or five minutes after them, so you can avoid them altogether. It's amazing how we allow little things to dictate our emotions in our life. I, I choose to allow the presence of God to dictate what's going to happen in my life and my future. I ain't got time to hold on to grudges. ain't got time to hold on to things, offense. Jesus is coming, and he is a witness of a church. Yeah, I said he needs a witness of a church. He's looking for a bride. I said he's looking for a bride without spot, without blemish. Amen. We need to get those blemishes, pull them out. Throw them aside and allow God to purify our spirits and purify our hearts. Let's pray right now. Jesus, Lord, right now, I come by you, Lord, asking you, Lord, to purify our Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. If you would like to know more information about our church, please check us out on Facebook at Lifeway Apostolic Church. May God richly bless you.